Please be seated. You know, our mission here at the chapel is to help people move one step closer to God and to each other through Christ. And, and one of the ways that we can take our next step uh, closer, especially if you are a Christ follower, is, is through baptism. I get the question a lot, hey, when is the next baptism? I want some information on baptism. So here it is. Uh, on May 7th, that weekend of May 7th, we will have a baptism service here at our uh, Norwalk campus. We have a class then on April 23rd. This class is a short informational meeting just about what to expect and what is baptism and why we do it. So here's the deal. Even if you're not quite sure you're ready to be baptized yet, but you just want to find out some information about it, what it is and why we do it and all those kind of things, still come, plan on coming to uh, April 23rd. Um, and we will share more with you at that point uh, after each service. And then, if you would, you can text the word baptism to this number on the screen. When you do, what that does is it lets us know you're interested. So when we send out reminders and some of those kind of things, you'll get some notifications just reminding you of that. So hopefully you'll plan on um, uh, coming to that class. If you'd love to be part of baptism services, we'd love to do that with you. Uh, the other thing is this, uh, Thursday night, right here at our Norwalk campus, we're having a women's worship night. This isn't just a night of worship either. There's going to be more things going on. So um, uh, what we're doing is some collections for families who are fostering children. Uh, we know there's some needs there with some of these families who are involved with fostering, and so we want to make sure to help with those. And so in the atrium is a table set up that uh, there's even a sign behind it on the TV that says for Women's Worship Night. Stop at that table. There's some information on some of the needs and some of the collection items that we're picking up for this Thursday night worship night. Um, so hopefully, ladies, you'll plan on being here Thursday night for that. It'll be a great time together starting at 6. And then the last thing for you is this. Guys, you're not um, left alone. We have a father-son retreat here uh, starting August 4th through 6th at Beulah Beach. Now, I know August 4th through 6th is a long way off, and you don't know what you're doing tomorrow, but this is why I'm telling you about this now. It's because there's limited space and there is some cost involved, and so I want you to um, jump on this as soon as you can. Check your calendars. If you're able to be a part of this with your fathers and sons, please sign up as quickly as possible because space is limited, and I want to make sure that everyone who wants to be there can be there. So text the word FATHER to this number on the screen. When you do, you're going to get a link from, to, from Beulah Beach. Um, that link will get you signed up and, and give you some more information on costs and some of those things. Um, and so please do that sooner than later so that you can make sure to get in on that. Spend time with uh, your son. It will be well worth it. We have very little time with our kids and take advantage of it when you got it. This is an opportunity for you. Um, this is all in your welcome program, too, so don't feel like you have to remember all this stuff. Um, today, we're going to jump into this book of John. Now, I love, this is probably one of my favorite books, and I'm, I'm really glad that we're getting involved with this book. But today, I, it's going to be a little bit different of a message today, because I want to take a, a little step back. Before we really crack it open before we really get into the first chapter of this, I want to 
I want to answer a few questions first. Some questions that you may be having as you come here today and you're looking at John. Questions like maybe, who is John? Why should we even care about this guy? We don't even know what he did or why it's important. So who is John? I want to look at that. I want to look at this question you might have. In the year 2023, why are John's words still important? Is there any relevance to John's words, or are they just old news? We're beyond that. Um, I want to look at this question. Uh, can we even trust what John has to say? Meaning, is there any relevance to his words whatsoever? Is there anything for us to take away? Um, and can we even trust what he has to say as being real to us? So all great questions. I'm going to back up. We're going to dig in and find out because the reality is this. A lot of us know some stories in the Bible, right? Very few of us know the story of the Bible. And it is equally as an important story that I want to share with you a little bit today, more specifically the story of John. So I received this Bible when I was a kid. Um, it was when I went into middle school, I think we got these. Um, it's nice and it's wrapped in this fake leather um, it's got my name stamped in gold on the front, which is really awesome, so everybody knows it's mine. I loved, as a kid, looking at some of the maps that are inside, the pictures and all those kind of things that were in here were pretty cool when I was a kid. I was told, as a child, that this book is special. I was told that it was sacred, that it's the Word of God, you don't question it ever, and, and you don't write in it and you don't use it as a coaster, and you don't kill bugs with it. This is my knowledge as a child of the Bible. To some degree, I was scared of this book. I was scared because of those things I was told, and I was scared because I really didn't understand what was inside of it. And you might be able to relate. And all of that stuff seems okay when you're a kid. The problem is I grew up. And when I grew up, I started having some questions. I started having some questions about things that I read that didn't make sense. I started having questions about some of the stories that I read that didn't quite make sense. And I started wondering if this was truthful. And I started thinking, if parts of it weren't truthful, does that mean all of it's not truthful? Can I rely on this? And I started to doubt. And I admit, I almost walked away from my faith in high school unnecessarily as a result. So I want to back up with a little history today. So bear with me as we get a little nerdy today. Because the story of the New Testament in our Bibles today didn't begin with in the beginning. No, in fact, the story of our Bibles today in the New Testament actually began towards the back with a, uh, with a first century Greek doctor named Luke. And so here's what Luke had to say in the beginning of his book. He said, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. He said, they used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from early disciples, having carefully investigated, he said, everything from the beginning. I have also decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So here's the deal. Luke had this friend. He was a wealthy friend. 
and his name was Theophilus. Theophilus had heard some things about Jesus. He had learned some events that had taken place around Jesus, and as a result, he gave his life to following Jesus. He was excited about this, and he wanted to learn more. He wanted to know more about what Jesus did, and so he went to his friend Luke and said, Luke, would you do me a favor? Would you put together for me an an account, an orderly account of all the things that Jesus did and said and what you saw and what you experienced in your time with Jesus? And so Luke decided, sure, Theophilus, I'll help my friend out. I will create this document that would give order to these events and these accounts of Jesus. And we call this the book of Luke in our Bible. Now, there's a couple of important things that I want to just note here about Luke's account of Jesus and the events that surrounded him. The first thing is this. Luke, did you catch at the beginning, said, many people have set out to write these accounts about the events that have happened among us. Many people, he said. So Luke is saying, look, I'm not the only one that has done this. I'm not the only one that has attempted to make a list of these accounts. Many other people, many people, have done this same thing that I'm doing. But he's also saying something else that's critical. He's saying, not only am I not the only one that has done this, but I'm doing this because because something happened in this world, something happened in my life that was worth documenting. It was worth. So Luke wasn't trying to write the New Testament of our Bible as we know it today. He didn't know that it would exist. He was trying to give his friend Theophilus an account, an accurate account of all the things he had seen and all the things he had experienced of what happened. And something amazing happened. It was worth writing down. So Luke wrote it down. I mean, how many of us have done that? And we, something cool's happened, and we thought, man, we got to write this down. I don't want to forget this. Luke wrote down the story of what amazing thing happened, and the beginning of our New Testaments started. Now, here's what's important to remember, though, and this is, this is critical. The moment Jesus died on the cross, there was no story to be told. The story was over. No one believed Jesus would return from the dead. He was gone. They brought his lifeless body down off of that Roman cross, and he laid them in the tomb, and he was gone. There were no Christ followers. They scattered. They scattered in this moment. There was no church in this moment. There was no hope in this moment. There was no New Testament of our Bibles. And in this moment, there was nothing about Jesus' life worth recording in this moment because he was dead. End of story. All would soon be forgotten. The story died when Jesus died. However, however we know, the story wasn't over. The story that Luke had to share and the story that Theophilus wanted to hear was only valuable for one reason. Jesus wasn't dead. Jesus was alive. Something extraordinary happened. Something that was worth telling everyone about. Something that was risk your life to share. You see, this man that claimed to be God, he died. And then three days later, they went to the tomb and it was empty. And many, many people saw Jesus 
after the fact that he had risen. In fact, it was Peter. Peter went to, uh, he was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Caiaphas, the high priest, and he said this in Acts chapter 2. He said, God raised Jesus from the dead and we're witnesses of this. I highlight witnesses because uh, Peter didn't just uh, hear about this event. He didn't read about this event. He witnessed this event. They saw it with their own eyes. This was worth writing down. This was worth telling the world about. And so the movement of the church and the movement of Jesus was birthed. But still, still no leather-wrapped, gold-stamped Bible as we know it. So Luke, he knew Peter. And Luke knew John. And Luke knew James, who was the brother of Jesus. Luke knew Paul. He traveled with him for a while. Luke documented the rise of the church. He did all these things. And still, Luke admitted to us that I'm not the only one that drew accounts of these things. Other people had done it. In fact, many people, he said, so here's my question. Why? Why did so many people make an account of this? Why? I mean, that would have, this, this is weird in our culture for so many people to, to make an account of one event. Why did so many people make an account of this? Because let's be honest, in this culture, especially back then, it was expensive. They couldn't go get copies made. There was no printing presses. They couldn't go to Staples and buy paper and pens and all that stuff. This was an expensive thing to write down. In fact, most people were illiterate anyway. So why bother? Why Take the time and the expense to make this happen. Why? Well, I can tell you why. It's because something extraordinary happened that was worth documenting. Something happened. The first four books of our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of these books are accounts of what these events were, these incredible events that happened, their accounts. So we see books like this, like in Matthew, the very first book of our New Testament. Matthew, see, Matthew was a tax collector. No one liked Matthew. Not even his own people liked Matthew. Matthew was rich, and he got rich because he was a thief. This guy was a bad dude. And yet, Jesus came to Matthew and said, Matthew, leave your life behind as you know it. Leave your wealth behind. Leave who you are behind and follow me. And he did. And as a result, Matthew's life was forever changed by Jesus. And so Matthew documented his experiences with Jesus down. And I love this. Matthew wrote his book in Hebrew, the only one of the four Gospels written in Hebrew. And he did, the, he did this masterfully because he was writing to the Jews. Jews spoke Hebrew. He knew what he was doing. And as a result, he pulled some of the Old Testament prophecies out and included them in his book because they would have made sense and connected to the Jews he was speaking to. It's masterful. It was later translated into Greek. We have Matthew. I, I love his account. And then we got Matthew. Mark. Mark. I love the book of Mark. No one disputes who wrote Mark. Everyone agrees Mark wrote Mark. Here's the interesting thing I found. I'll let you decide for yourself. It's believed by some scholars that Mark was penned by Mark, but from the lips of Peter. 
See, Peter, he traveled with Peter around. Peter was illiterate, it was believed, and so he needed someone to write for him, and so he chose Mark. It seems to make sense because this book of Mark is a book of action. It's a book of, that's to the point. There's not a lot of fluff, kind of like a fisherman would have written this book. Peter was a fisherman, and I'll let, I'll let you decide what you think. And then we have Luke. Right? Luke, as I told you, was written by Luke. He was a physician, a doctor, and he wrote it for Theophilus. The thing I love about Luke is the detail that's included in the book of Luke. As you would expect from a doctor, it's very orderly. It's very meticulous in his detail. It was written by a physician. My only question is, do you wonder if his handwriting was any better than what our doctors today? I don't know. But Luke is very detailed. I love this book. And then we come to John. John, where we're going to spend the next several weeks together. Here's what I love about John. John was a fisherman. And John was a young man. He was full of passion. Uh, He may have been a little immature. Because John was corrected by Jesus several times for his recklessness and his aggressiveness. And I think he was reckless and aggressive because he was passionate. And he was passionate for the truth. John cared about truth. He spoke truth. He proclaimed truth. In his book, he fought fervently against false teaching. And he was described in a real special way. John is described as the one whom Jesus loved. He had a unique, special close, tight relationship with Jesus that is, is special. And, and it became clear as he matured, not only in his faith, but in his life, he, as he matured, it became clear that John realized that his zeal for truth must also be balanced by a love for people, a lesson that we have to learn sometimes too. He cared about truth, but he learned that love for people was important as well. John was a fighter for truth, but he became this extremely loving and caring man. And all of these are written, all of these are written because of what they had seen, because of what had happened. They were written because of their life changed that they contained. They were written because an extraordinary event occurred. They were written because an extraordinary man who claimed to be God, he proved it. So they wrote it down. It was worth writing down. And yet, still no leather-bound, gold-stamped Bible as we know it. These men weren't trying to assemble a Bible They didn't know the New Testament was going to exist as we have it today. They were documenting what they saw. They were documenting the extraordinary events that they knew they couldn't keep to themselves. The world had to know, and they recorded it. In fact, John says this at the end of his book. He wrote, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. That word disciples is not just the 12. It was the hundreds of disciples that followed Jesus. He said he performed many others which aren't recorded in this book. But these are written, he said, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Look, John didn't just write this book because he was bored. He didn't write it because he wanted a bestseller. No, he wrote it, he said, so that you may believe. 
Remember that question we asked last week? Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this, Martha? And she said, yes, I do believe. John says, I wrote this book so that you may believe. Believe what? That Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And here's the cool thing about John. This is why I love this book. If John's account of the life of Jesus is all you have, it's the only account you ever need. In fact, I'd go as far as to say this. If this document of John is the only one you ever happened to stumble across as you were reading, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough to learn that something amazing happened in this world. It's enough to learn about a story of a God that did something in this world that was so extraordinary and it was on your behalf. It's enough. And however, John even states, right? He said, hey, my account isn't complete. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. Even though John didn't include every last thing in his book, he said it's still enough. It's still enough. I don't know why he didn't put everything in. I don't know. But even for whatever reason, John decided not to include certain stories in his account. He's still given us enough to realize that Jesus truly is who he claimed to be and that he truly did what he claimed to do. John's book is powerful. It's truthful. It's descriptive. It is it is life-changing, and it's a story of, of a God that loves you so much that he sent his son into the world. This is the most famous verse, I would say, in all of Scripture, one that even if you're not a Christ follower, you've heard before, right? John 3.16, this is how God loved the world, loves everyone. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John knew that this was a story that needed to be told, and yet at this point in time, we still had no nicely packaged, leather-bound, stamped Bible as we know it today. So bear with me for just a second. I want to get a little nerdy. So these documents were starting to circulate around the Christ followers, right? They were starting to read them. But then something happened. We, we, in the year A.D. 303, okay, an emperor came about. His name was Diocletian. Emperor Diocletian was a brilliant man. He was known for um, bringing stability to Rome at the time, and he was real good at it. I mean, he was a great leader, Diocletian. The only one problem with Diocletian. He's even more well-known for hating Christians, hated them with a passion. In fact, Diocletian began Rome's longest and bloodiest persecution of Christians known. In fact, this is what one historian wrote about him. He said, during this nine-year reign of terror, Christians were hunted, stripped of their rights, brutalized, and killed. Under Diocletian's reign, right, all churches, all churches were leveled. They were ordered to be destroyed. They were taken out. All Christian texts were ordered to be burned. And they were destroyed. All Christians were ordered to not be able to assemble together, to not meet together. In fact, if you were caught in possession of a Christian document of any kind, it was a death sentence. This was under 
Diocletian. And still, and still, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, among other writings, they were hidden in homes. And they were read in secret. Why? Why would you risk your life for such a document as this? It's because of what it contained inside. John, among others, were considered at this time already to not only be reliable and truthful, they were considered to be sacred and inspired by God. I mean, imagine, imagine you possessed just a piece of Matthew. Imagine your friend possessed just a, just a piece of Mark. Imagine someone you knew that had John in its entirety. How incredible would this be? They would, they would gather secretly in the quiet of the night. They would gather by candlelight, and they would pull out whatever piece that they had, that they got their hands on, and they would read together a story worth dying for. Is I was trying to wrap my head around this, and it reminded me of this... Um, so Pastor Ryan, he, some of you remember him, he was on staff here at the chapel for several years, and now he's a pastor at a church up in the state, which I will not name. And, um, and, and he, was, he had a grandfather who was a seminary professor, right? So his grandfather had written this book about how Jesus had changed his life, but his grandfather died and the book was lost. And and. Um, I remember Ryan telling me the story. Here's the crazy part. My dad is a pastor here in town. And my dad took a seminary class, and Pastor Ryan's grandpa was his professor. And in one day, this was just a year or so ago, um, my dad was cleaning out his library. He's always trying to give me books. I can't take any more books. I'm like, no, Dad, I can find this online. I don't need any more books. And he was giving me this thing, and he found this three-ring binder, and it was filled with this old manuscript. And he said, he gave it to me one day, he said, here, would you mind passing this along to Ryan? He's like, I found it in my library, it was his grandfather's book. And I was like, oh, sure. I'm like, that's cool, I didn't think anything of it. And so one day I was sitting with Ryan, and I said, hey, my dad found this old book in his library, he said I should give it to you, so I gave it to Ryan. You should have seen the tears fell Ryan's eyes as he held that. And he looked at it, and he so just carefully, he just seemed carefully turning these pages. He says, it's my grandfather's book that we lost. And he's like, I can't, I can't believe I'm holding it. Like, it was so special to him. I, he was overwhelmed at possessing this, this, this book that his grandfather had written. And I think to myself, this wasn't special to him because his grandfather wrote it. It was special to him because of what his grandfather wrote. What it possessed inside, the story, was powerful and life-changing. And, and, and this story pales, I know, in comparison to these documents that we possess and that these early Christians would have possessed. Can you imagine being 
handed just a piece of John 270 years before, before this was ever assembled as we know it today. These four books were considered to be sacred words, inspired words of God. They were scripture. But then something incredible happened. Check this out. This is so cool. In the year 324, right? Diocletian goes away. We have a new emperor, Constantine the Great. Constantine the Great had this compassion towards Christians. And under Constantine the Great, he removed many of the laws that were put in place by Diocletian. He started to allow Christians to meet and assemble together. He started allowing Christians to worship freely. He started allowing Christians to be able to possess text again and freedom and without fear and for the first time these christian scholars who were once hidden in secret began to come out and they began to work together and all these documents began to be collected and assembled in one place that we call the new testament can you imagine the excitement of these people What would become the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, along with Paul's letters to the churches? Then James's book. James, the brother of Jesus, had a book. And then we have Luke's follow-up book, Acts, that told the story of the rise of the church. Among many other documents, we see all coming together finally in freedom, in one place, at one time, and they could study them and assemble them. Can you imagine this? And yet... And yet, even if history were different, even if, even if these documents couldn't have been saved, John is all we would need. John is all we need. John's account is not about what he had read. It's not about what he had heard. It's about what he saw and what he experienced. It was about a God whose love was so great that he sent his one and only son into this world. So here it is. We have it. We have this book, John. It's right here. Its contents holds the story of life change. It's a story that is worth dying for. It's a story of a God whose love for you is so great that you were worth dying for. And we have it right here. So here's my challenge to you today. Over these next weeks, as we jump into this, Pastor Joe is going to jump into chapter 1 of John next week, and we hit the ground running. As we go through this together, could I challenge you with this? Would you, would you be willing to read John together with me? Would you be willing to say, okay, okay, I, I will, I'll, let me take a look at this document. And even if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, maybe you have doubts, you have questions, you're unsure about all this, that's okay. Would you still be willing to read this book with me? Because it was written so that you may believe. Would you read it with an open heart? Would you be willing to do that? And would you read it with not just like a normal book, but would you, would you pray through this? And as you read, would you just pray that the Lord would continue to reveal himself to you more and more? Would you pray that he would reveal who he is, his character, more and more? Would you approach reading this with a grateful heart because of what we've been given? Would you 
read this remembering the reason why it was given? Would you read this in joy at the freedom that we have to read this? Would you read it with me? So here's what we do. I'm making it easier for you. And you don't have to remember all this because it's in your worship program too. But we, got this, we have this Bible app that we use here called Dwell. We gave it to you a few months back. It's free through the chapel. You can download this Bible app. There's a QR code in your welcome program. Or you can text this word chapel to that 39383 number. It'll send you links, show you how to get signed up. It's, it's free for you to use. It's a great Bible app. And then what we did was we put on that app a 30-day John reading plan for you. So download the app. We'll send you out an email um, this week on how you can get that 30-day reading plan on there for you so we can be together as we go through John. Um, And so I'm asking, would you be willing to read this with me? And so that leads me to the second challenge I'll give you today. And that is, would you come back next week with your Bible? Would you bring it? I ask you to bring it because, one, we have the freedom to. We're allowed, which is awesome. I can take this wherever I want. But also because there might be some things that you might want to circle or highlight or make note of as we go through this. And so I'd say, if you're willing, bring this back with you this week because we're going to take a closer look at the events that John recorded for us. And why did he record them? so that you may believe. And that is my prayer over these weeks, that it would change our hearts, and we may believe. If you don't believe, then maybe you'll be challenged in your thinking. If you're here and you do believe, then maybe it just reinforces what you already know. So let me pray for us as you go. Lord Jesus, I truly, I do thank you for this incredible book. I thank you for the opportunity and the freedom and the privilege that we have to read it together. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that it contains. I thank you for the life change that it possesses. I thank you that we hold them in our hands. And over these next weeks, Lord, I pray that we too would discover the many miraculous signs that John shared with us. I pray that through this series together that many people would hear, or not just hear, but would believe. Believe that you are God. Believe that you are Messiah, the Son of God. So I look forward to what you have in store for us, Lord Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for sticking out a history lesson, and we'll see you next week.